You're listening to the Living a Life Unleashed podcast. Welcome to the Living a Life Unleashed podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Bishop. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, if you're new to this podcast, welcome. I'm glad you're hanging out with us because each week I invite a guest onto the show to talk about a topic that is meant to be a catalyst for growth in our lives, to spark ideas, get unstuck, and gain new insights that compel us to action as we journey together to play full out and live fully into who we were created to be. Thanks to all of you who have shared this podcast with others. And a reminder, when you listen, leave comments and reviews because when you review the podcast, it gains more visibility to others. On today's show, I've invited Catherine Elizabeth Clark, author of the book, Where I End, a story of tragedy, truth, and rebellious hope. It just released this year, and Kate is here to share her story of hope, grief, suffering, and miraculous recovery. Her story is a testimony that God is with us and faithful even in difficult circumstances. In 2009, Kate Clark was a wife and active mother of two living in Michigan when a tragic playground accident left her paralyzed from the neck down. After surgery for her injured spine, she was told that she would likely never walk again. Facing the possibility of a life without being able to hug her children, walk independently, or hold her husband's hand, Kate prayed a prayer of rebellious hope and asked God for a miracle. A little bit more about Kate. Kate studied at the University of Michigan, Wayne State University, and Dallas Theological Seminary with a background in psychology. She's spent much of the last 20 years working and writing for a nationwide Christian radio and counseling ministry, and when she's not writing, Kate enjoys spending time outdoors, cooking new recipes with her kids, and immersing herself in books. Kate and her husband, John, who is a professor at Moody Bible Institute, and their two kids live in Wheaton, Illinois. Kate, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Lisa. Glad to be here. So I read your book. It was awesome. It was uh, very um, raw, very mm-hmm. vulnerable. And as mm-hmm. we were talking a little bit earlier, there's just a power in sharing our stories with mm-hmm. one another. Mm-hmm. So thanks for coming on the show and sharing your story with us today. Tell us a little bit about your story and, and what prompted you to write the book. Sure. So a few years ago, when my family and I were living in Grand Rapids, Michigan, um, you know, I was just pretty much an average active mom. And one day I was up at the school where I was volunteering. And it was such a beautiful May day that we decided uh, to stay for recess. So my four-year-old was with me and my son was finishing up uh, first grade at the time. And my son kind of disappeared in a field, you know, in search of just creatures. And my daughter and I decided to stay in this just really brilliant sunshine on the playground. And so we were playing. Uh, and I had suggested a game of tag to the kids around me. And we were just instantly kind of whirling about the playground. And if you've ever, Lisa, you know, had a had a game of tag with a group of kids, then you know that before you know it as an adult, everyone is chasing you. And so I've got this big kite string of kids on mm-hmm. my heels and I am having a great time feeling pretty victorious um, because I'm not being caught yet. And unbeknownst to me, as I'm racing around the playground, there was a young boy who decided... Um, to make his way to the top of this play structure. And there were three slide options at the top. He wasn't really um, enthused about the slides that day. And so he climbed around the protective barrier. And just as I was running, he jumped. 
his sneakers crashed on my head mm-hmm. and uh, we both fell to the ground together. He shattered his elbow and I was paralyzed from wow. the neck down. Wow. So it was just a crazy um, accident. And I was on my back in the wood chips. I could hear the boy screaming that his arm was broken. Uh, I could hear another little girl screaming for him to get off of me. And it was somewhat just stunning and uh, and chaotic to, uh, to um, you know, remember the scene. And my kids were kind of whisked into the school with the rest of the children. An ambulance was called and I was transferred to a rehabilitation hospital. I had surgery that evening. Uh, I was diagnosed with quadriplegia. Mm-hmm. I was paralyzed from the neck down. And as you said um, in your intro, you know, I wasn't able um, to do anything. Uh, and the doctors said that uh, very, they were hopeful. They had inserted a ventilator uh, for mm-hmm. the surgery and they were hopeful that I would come off the ventilator. Beyond that, hope was pretty much discouraged. Um, they said it was a Christopher Reeve level injury. My injury is just um, just one vertebrate lower than Christopher Reeve. So for your younger listeners, um, you know, Christopher Reeve was, you know, Superman to right, us. He right. played the first Superman. He was sort of the symbol of strength. And um, so, yeah, it was, it, but we both probably have memories of what it looks like for Christopher Reeve to be in a power wheelchair. And, you know, eventually he succumbed to the injuries and he died, I think maybe about eight or nine years after the the injuries. So it was a pretty grim prognosis, um, especially for, you know, a family with small children. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And our listeners, we want to hear how the story has, mm-hmm. it never ends, but mm-hmm. what what is true now. But before we, we get to that part, in your book, you say that you cannot know the answer to why did I fall mm-hmm. this side of heaven or perhaps ever. Yet, as you suggest to the reader, that does not mean we cannot ask questions when things happen and that God is okay with our inquiries, as we see in the Psalms, mm-hmm. which are laden, as you say, with gut-wrenchingly honest pleas of those who were suffering. Yet instead of asking why, you invite readers to ask to what end. Mm-hmm. Talk about the reason for that and the distinction between those inquiries of that we make of God, the, the why mm-hmm. me or the to what to what end. Sure. So that's true. I love the Psalms. I love the rawness of the Psalms. I love that um, there's things that you would not expect to be in Scripture in the Psalms, just very honest pleading, very honest, um, you know, accusations even sometimes at God. And yet I think what you'll also find when you read the Psalms is that what they often do is they end with who God is. And so um, the question of why I feel like is a very dark labyrinth and um, we never get to the end of it and we're not promised the answer to the why question. So um, I don't actually find that question particularly helpful because I think it just really turns you inward. Um, You're constantly turned in upon yourself. I think that um, instead we are really called to ask to what end and we're asked to press into um, who God is in this place um, and and who are we um, in relationship to him in our suffering and what is he doing in our lives and our suffering. I think that these are 
far more helpful, um, far more healing, far more redemptive ways to enter into our suffering. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm just sitting here thinking, wow, what, what was it like for you to be diagnosed mm-hmm. with quadriplegia? Mm-hmm. The probability that walking again would not be an option. Mm-hmm. What, what was that like? I just, I marvel because I think we often do ask, why God? Why? And we, sh- we, mm-hmm. you know, we kind of shake our fist at God. What, did I do something wrong? Am I being mm-hmm. punished? Like, mm-hmm. why, why is this happening? I think it's just a very, very easy mm-hmm. question for us to, to go to. So right. I'm just so curious to talk a little bit more about, again, what that experience was like for you in that moment and how did you keep going to the to what end question rather mm-hmm. than the why question? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Um, I think that, you know, in our suffering, we we tend to isolate ourselves and we t- tend to, you know, as Americans, we live very isolated lives. And even when things are going well, um, we're kind of doing our own things. Um, and then when something hits you, you know, very tragic, um, then the whole, the suffering that is palpable and the isolation that is felt um, can be quite, quite um, damaging and significant and overwhelming. Um, I think that uh, the question of, you know, how did we get through it is, you know, we were, to be, to be, um, human is to be in community mm. and we're in the church and we are connected to the body. Um, there's actually, you know, no such thing as a Christian outside of the body. I mean, we're joined to one another. And I think that, you know, in these spaces of suffering, you know, we want to isolate, but what we're called to do is live in community, both with our, you know, Father, Son, and Spirit who live in community. We're joined, we're drawn into their family by being joined to Christ. But we're also, you know, we also have this great resource of the church. And so, you know, one of the things that is wonderful about having significant people in your lives is that even when you are sort of waning in hope and faith and love, you have others who can carry you in that and they can hope when you feel like you can't hope. Mm. Um, They can um, believe even when you're feeling like, Lord, help me in my unbelief. So the diagnosis of quadriplegia was pretty devastating, you know, for, for all of us, um, for friends, for family, for, you know, the school, the children, Mm. um, I knew the kids in Williams class really, really well because I had volunteered every Friday. And so this was a heavy weight for everyone to carry, Um, but we didn't carry it alone. Um, And we also belong to someone who we know can do what doctors cannot, who is able to do the impossible. And so we did hope, we did um, press into the knowledge that um, he could heal um, and my daughter, who was, again, four at the time, she asked her daddy, you know, is it okay to pray that mom can walk again? And, you know, we're kind of living in this very, this moment of, okay, as a parent, you know, what do I believe here? What mm. it, do I really believe um, that this is possible? And so he said, yes, um, pray. Pray that mom will walk again. So he's got the doctors on one side saying, you have a new reality. Your wife is going to be, you know, living pretty much in a power wheelchair in a bed um, for the rest of her days. And then we have this faith side where we're saying, but Lord, we know, we know who you are. We know what you can do. Um, And we just boldly asked him, please heal. 
So what was that experience like as you were praying and other Mm -hmm. people praying for you? And Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about that experience. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing better than to be, like I said, bound up in community. And we were pretty much living on the prayers of the saints. And I don't have a story of like a pick up your mat and walk moment. That is not my story. Um, Instead, what happened for me was the Lord gave me back. Um, little pieces along the way. And so one day, you know, I'm able to move my left foot and I'm just pretty much moving it constantly because it's like this little piece of normal. And my whole, I was living in a rehabilitation hospital and I had therapy all the day long, all different kinds of therapy. And we, um, we actually just marveled at, and we were thankful for just these little pieces along the way. And everyone, you know, was able to enter in and celebrate just everything. It was, and that's what it, it was relearning everything. So I started with, you know, this one little movement, and then it was relearning how to crawl, relearning how to walk, relearning how to hold a fork. You know, it was a, it was a long journey and continues to be, you know, a part of my story. I like to say that I was raised wounded. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I very much still have everything from the neck down is sort of technically still broken, but I do have a lot uh, of ability. Right, Mm -hmm. right. One of the things that you talk about in your book, when you talk about the doctor's prognosis that you wouldn't walk again. There's a quote in your book that really moves me. And you say, we were tempted to stonewall ourselves from disappointment, Mm. to insulate and inoculate ourselves in disbelief and follow the way of Edward the Rabbit, a Mm. character from the miraculous journey of Edward Tulane. The character Edward prided himself on not hoping, on not allowing his heart to lift inside of him. He prided himself on keeping his heart silent, immobile, closed tight. And then you go on to say, but now was not the time to latch the shutters over our hearts. Instead, we dared to throw them open, to lay them bare, weak and vulnerable as they were. Why do you think that so many people may be afraid to hope? Because Mm. what you just described is is you decided that you 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 had a doctor's prognosis, but we have Jesus the healer. And so Mm -hmm. you made the decision, we're going to hope, we're going to pray to that end, and we're Mm going to ask people to pray that end to that end too. Mm-hmm. And yet I would say that there is probably a high pro, a, a high number of people who wouldn't right. have that level of hope mm-hmm. that God, maybe he can, but will he heal me? Correct. Right. I think that uh, we, in those instances, are all trying to maybe protect ourselves a little bit from feeling disappointed. Is, is God really going to come through? And I actually had people tell me, um, one teacher who had said, um, you know, I prayed that you would walk again, but I didn't actually think that that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so I just think that the Lord can, you know, really compassionately, you know, enter into those situations. And, um, you know, well, he doesn't have to scold us, but he knows that we're fragile. He knows our hearts are weak and he knows that, um, you know, we are challenged with that. Is he really good? Mm -hmm. Um, And we're all asking that's how asking that question to ourselves, you know, in the back of our mind, is he really good? And what does that look like? Um, is he really good? Does that mean that he has to heal me to be really good? Well, no. I mean, um, one of the very humbling things is that Johnny Erickson Tata was 
um, one of the persons who wrote to me, endorsed my book. And I was just so very humbled because she has a story where she was paralyzed from the neck down and she is paralyzed from the neck down. She lives in a power wheelchair. She's a great saint of God, Mm -hmm. um, one of the great saints of our age. And so he has been, I think she would, she would readily say he's been very good to her. Um, and so I think that, you know, um, we, we have to, we have to hope, um, Scripture tells us hope does not disappoint, um, and though our hearts want to sort of close in those periods, we want to protect ourselves from any more pain. Um, we are we are called to lay ourselves out. Jesus Christ did that very thing for us. Mm-hmm. Um, he was broken um, for us, and so that we could, you know, enter in and hope. So, what would you say to some of our listeners who are thinking, "Man, I've I've been dealing with a diagnosis," mm-hmm. or um, you know, a, some level of trauma or something that's happened in my life or hasn't happened in my life. And I've prayed and I don't feel like God has come mm-hmm. through. What, mm-hmm. what would you say? Mm-hmm. Sure. I think that um, what I would hope that they would hear is that um, Jesus Christ is truly present in our suffering. He's assumed a body, um, a mind. He, he's assumed, a, you know, a a heart because he truly understands. He's truly entered into those painful situations. Um, he truly has compassion, but not only does he have compassion, he has the ability to come in and conquer. He's literally been destroyed for us, um, but also has become victor for us. And so um, the enemy has this way, I feel like, of just whispering to us mm-hmm. in those times and telling us that you are, you know, you are outside the grip or the care of the, of your, of God, of the heavenly father. Um, but, but the story of the gospel is exactly the opposite. Um, one of my one one quote that I love from Victor Hugo says, "You know, life's great happiness is to be convinced that we are loved," mm-hmm. and that is what Jesus Christ has done um, in His life and death is in His resurrection. Is He has shown us, He has convinced us through those actions that we are truly loved. Yeah. And it it brings me back to what we were talking about a handful of minutes ago of not asking why Mm -hmm, God, why mm -hmm. is this happening Mm -hmm. to me? But that question that you pose to Mm -hmm, what end? And mm so, you know, as followers of Christ, trusting God, believing God is not only in the circumstances where life seems to be going well, but it's Mm -hmm. in those times where there is grave disappointment Mm -hmm. or things have not gone the way. We are experiencing a great deal of suffering where... Mm -hmm. To what end, Lord? What? Mm-hmm. How? How are you you using this? Which, which brings me to another point that you make in your book um, that we essentially don't call things good that aren't good, right. because you say something along the lines in your book where people are like, "Well, you know, God works all things." For things for good and glory, mm-hmm. and you talk mm-hmm. about, well, you know, cancer isn't good, right? You know, paraplegic is not good. Right. So we, we can't, that like, it's a kind of a, a bad theology to call those things good, but exactly. unpack that a little bit more. Sure. Yes. I think that as Christians, we're so tempted to 
try to be optimistic, to look on the bright side. Um, and in that, we we sometimes do make the mistake of calling what is good, what is not good. Um, I can remember once I was at this conference where there were literally thousands of women and the speaker, you know, kind of went through and talked about how you should be thankful for all, everything that's happened in your life. And so she's kind of talking about things like abuses, um, anything. And I thought, this is really gross. This mm. is like, this is, this is cruel. And in scripture doesn't do that. Um, when you look back on the story, you know, of Joseph, who's, you know, trafficked and experiences, you know, great, great suffering. The scripture says that what the, has happened is evil, mm. um, but what God does is he produces good from bad things. So mm, whenever I hear someone say something like, oh, I'm so thankful for cancer, I think, oh, you're so missing the point. What we're thankful for is Jesus Christ who is present in the suffering, mm. who is present in and is able to take you know, the violence or the abuse or all of these terrible things that we suffer. He is able to enter into those things and redeem um, so he can produce good um, from those things. But that doesn't make those things good. Right. That's good. Mm -hmm. And you talk about Jesus entering into our suffering. Mm -hmm. How can we enter into each other's suffering well? Mm. That's a really good question. I think that um, this is a hard one. There aren't like simple pat answers because there isn't, you know, a simple phrase that you can utter to Mm -hmm. someone who's really struggling and, um, and, and that will just be the balm to their soul Um, because we all kind of grieve differently. Um, and so it's just not easy, but I can say, um, you know, when you, when you think back on Job and and the story of him, uh, just losing everything and suffering, um, in his body, his friends come and we sometimes, you know, skip to the part that all of the things that they, that they did wrong, but you know what? They did something really well at the beginning. It says that they sat with him Hmm. for seven days, it Hmm. says, which is, incredible, um, and just were silent with him and wept with him and were present with him. I think presence is uh, a very significant thing that um, connects our humanity. Um, And I can just remember back to being in the hospital and one of my older brothers uh, would spend the the night with me um, so that John could be home with our kids. And just I remember his presence and the sweetness of that. Um, There's also prayer, and I never, ever want to um, minimize the importance of prayer um, in times of suffering. Um, I needed a lot of prayer. I still need a lot of prayer. You do too. I mean, yes, we need yes. we need to be bonded in prayer. And so um, I don't ever think that prayer is some small insignificant thing that you're doing. It is probably the best thing mm. um, that you're able to do. And then I also think there's just very practical ways that we can love one another. My kids were tiny and this was a lot to take in. Um, they were seeing things um, just, you know, patients that were, you know, very broken, broken in, you know, body, but also broken in heart and soul. Um, they, they saw things that a lot of kids, you know, 
would, wouldn't see at their ages. And so just very practical ways that people entered in. Um, one of the teachers, you know, took them to an art camp. This happened right before, you know, uh, right at the beginning of summer. Um, and so they're just very practical ways. I feel like we can enter in and try and see the whole picture because there is the one person who's probably, you know, if it's an injury or something like that, for my case, there was me that was injured and there's a lot of like people focused on you, but then there's a bigger picture of a family. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, my husband was literally trying to hold everything together, um, which was an incredibly daunting, you know, task. He was writing his dissertation and so just completely had to stop um, everything in order to just sort of hold the, you know, the the family together, if you will. And this was a lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and in what and what you said there is, you know, I've experienced my own degree of loss and we've all, if we've not experienced some level of loss in our life, we will. Absolutely. Like that is, is mm-hmm. life, you mm-hmm. know, the, the death of a loved one, right. the, you know, a, a diagnosis as we were talking about earlier, we're all going to face some mm-hmm. level of loss. And I, I love what you say about entering into each other's suffering that oftentimes we think that we're responsible to fix it or to, mm-hmm. you know, make it better. And that, right. that's not our responsibility. I, mm-hmm. I, the, the gift of sometimes just being present and sitting alongside mm-hmm. someone in silence mm-hmm. is what they need or prayer, or maybe asking that person what they need, or maybe they don't know what they need, but right. To your point too, and I've experienced all oh, people well intended, but just say things, and you're like, <laughs> silence is golden. You yes, know, just, absolutely. Just sit with me. Sometimes that's better, <laughs> right? Don't try and fix it. Right. Don't try and fix right. me. Right. But like we have good intentions in that, but right. it really is like I think some of the sweetest relationships are forged out of the mm-hmm. gift of being present and mm-hmm. sometimes just holding that space in mm-hmm. silence. Yeah. And giving space to grieve, because I do think that as Christians, we want to say, you know, we want to race to that Romans verse and say, you know, God works all things, you know, together for good. And he does. And that's a wonderful, sweet truth. But I think that sometimes it's uttered because we're just so uncomfortable with the pain Mm -hmm. that we we just want to skip that. We just want to like get past that and say, oh, look, but you know, something great's going to happen here. And what that does is it just really doesn't give that person you know, the space to grieve. And we can, we can look back to, you know, really precious story in scripture that I love is, you know, when Lazarus dies and they're grieving and they're waiting for Jesus to come and he doesn't come and they're grieving. And finally, when he does come, you know, Mary comes to him and, and she's weeping and you know what? He knows he's going to do something incredible. <laughs> he already knows like right. this is going to be amazing. Yeah. Um, but he doesn't, he doesn't skip to that. He doesn't mm. say, he doesn't say to her, just wait and watch and see. He weeps. Mm. And I think we can just race to the part where, you know, he does this awesome miracle and that's, fantastic. But I just want to, I'm just moved by the fact that it says that he weeps. I mean, he enters into her sorrow. Yeah. Really, I think because she has entered into his sorrow and she's tasted, you know, this is why I'm here. Um, You know, Jesus, life and light of the world confronted with death and it grieves him, you know, to, to his core. And so he weeps. And, and I think that we're called to do the same thing. We are called to just 
grieve what what should be grieved. Yeah, that's good. Well, let's talk a little bit about grief because you talk about two ways that we can treat grief mm-hmm. in your book. And one way that we can treat grief is an unwelcome, uninvited trespasser to be mm-hmm. shunned or dismissed. Too often uncomfortable with pain, we simply want to skip it, smother it, or shield ourselves from its annoying awkwardness. I love how you worded that. (laughs) Or the second way we treat grief is not as a foe, but a friend, a codependent lover, Mm -hmm. coddling, doting on, and giving grief authority in our lives. Mm -hmm. Talk about that. Okay. So we've, we've touched a little bit on, you know, we don't grieve or we don't give people the space to grieve. And, and that's the first one that I would, you know, encourage, uh, you, you have to give that space to grieve. But I do think, there's this flip side, as you said, of making grief the star of your life. And so you're talking about it, you're blogging about it. It's really become who you are. And you know what? Um, Grief and pain does not get to be the star of our stories. Um, And so I would, on, on the same side of me saying, give space to grief, I would also say, let grief have its proper place in your life. We are called to live with perseverance. We are Christians who are called to have quite a bit of metal and grit. And so, you know, rise, pick up your mat and walk is, is the charge that we're given. And um, we have we have to do that even in the midst of grief. Hmm. So we lean in to the suffering. We lean into the grief. We don't try and stonewall it and block right. it out. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we don't let grief become our identity and exactly. like over overtake our lives. Mm-hmm. Is, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. So tell us a little bit more about your story and, and where you are now. Okay. Sure. So the rehabilitation days were, you know, pretty incredible and awesome and miraculous. Um, As I said, God did give me back quite a lot. When my surgeon heard that I was walking, he was pretty much incredulous. He's like, I have to see that. Wow. So he drives over (laughs) to the, yeah, he drives over to the rehabilitation hospital and he did find me at that time. I was using kind of this high walker thing and not walking beautifully by any means, but I'm kind of ambling along and I saw him and I said, Hey, you did great work. And he just kind of shook his head Mm -hmm. and he grinned and he was like, I can take no credit. You know, God did this, which is, um, yeah, such a a wonderful testimony to, you know, God working in and when doctors cannot. And so everyone marveled, I mean, therapists, strangers, you know, everyone was marveling at just, what God was doing um, in my body and in my life. And so, um, yeah, this is a a great, a great uh, story. And yet it's pretty messy as well, because it's not one of those fairy tale endings um, where everything is um, perfect and well. I do, as I said, have um, some limitations. Everything from the neck down is um, still sort of broken. I have, um, some muscle problems, spasticity type things where my muscles kind of jerk and spasm. I don't have great balance. My right side's weaker than my left. Um, and one of the big things is I have this chronic nerve pain. It's like this kind of strange bee stinging, um, sensation, um, that is, you know, concentrated in my, you know, my left side, my hands and my feet. And so that's a constant Mm. and um, something that I guess is mine to keep my brain and my spinal cord just 
you know, haven't been able to figure it out and my, and I'm just always getting signals that I'm hurt or the, that's the, the sense that my, my brain thinks I'm hurt. And so it's always sending pain signals. Um, so I live with that. Um, and I like to, you know, as I say, I was raised wounded, which I think a lot of people can relate to. You were raised wounded as well. Um, we all sort of live with these um, pains in our lives and, and that we will have until heaven. Um, and it seems that, you know, I have some things like that, but who knows what, what God will still, you know, do. But I live in this place, I feel like, of gratitude and grief. Hmm. And so it's this great tension of so super thankful um, for the sweet ways that the Lord has healed, you know, and also then grieve because, you know, I would, I was really adventurous with my kids and, you know, I was a runner and, and some of those things have been lost to me. Um, and so we do both uh, as a family. We're so glad. We're grateful. We know, I know what it's like to lie in a bed, you know, unable to really do anything um, for myself. I have memories um, that'll stay with me. Yeah. Um, but I'm also, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm also on the same side of thankful. I want to also just recognize that there are things that are not as they should be. Right. And mm-hmm. I, I love that, that grief and gratitude can coexist. Mm-hmm. Sometimes yeah. we think that if there's grief there, gratitude can't be or, or mm-hmm. vice versa, but that there is a tension. There is. In holding that. Mm-hmm. For all of us, really, there's, you know, everyone, and it doesn't have to be, you know, f- physical injury. I mean, it's really anything. We can all kind of bond together in the in the sense that, you know, there's loss and suffering in every way. There's hard marriages. There's children that, you know, go, go astray. There's um, so many things um, that I feel like, you know, this book is you know, has resonated because it's not just the story of, you know, my physical injury and how God did something incredible. Um, it's that story, but it's also the just the, the human story of how um, we suffer, um, but we are not alone in our suffering. Mm. You know, Jesus is present with us um, and we can really, we can live with joy in the midst of it. What were you hoping to accomplish by writing your book? What do you what do you hope as as readers are are turning the pages? What is what is your greatest hope? Well, initially, I started writing the story um, because I wanted my kids to have a record of, of what God had done. And I think that as uh, people, we're all very prone to forget, um, and so. I wanted uh, a remembrance of uh, what happened and um, I wanted also to be able to proclaim because I think as Christians, we're also called to do that as well. You know, our stories don't just belong to ourselves Mm. as much as sometimes we'd like to keep them to ourselves. Um, I did put this off for several years uh, (laughs) um, and was told over and over again, you should write your story. And I just, I really did need, I needed the space to contemplate. Um, First of all, I think that sometimes um, we've got uh, not maybe enough of that, you know, I just needed some space to sit in it. Um, But it was hard to enter back into it. It was, um, 
both uh, both a joyful experience um, to remember, but it was also a hard experience as well because it is a story that continues to shape my life and the lives of um, my family. So, yeah, I wanted to I wanted to remember, I wanted to proclaim, and I wanted to um, share this truth um, and share Jesus Christ really um, because he is um, he is the one that is with us and present with us and knows us and um, if we if we drift um, in those times you know our hearts will our hearts will will just flounder and um, as we said we'll turn into ourselves but if we can catch a glimpse of the fact that we have a savior who knows us who loves us who is truly bonded to us I mean Paul writes I don't know how many times you know how about how we have union with Christ well in some mysterious way we are actually bonded to the one who has suffered died and has become victor um that is a sweet, sweet truth um, for us to hold on to. Yeah, the power of the gospel. You know, something is in that uh, question surfacing. Were you ever, or are you ever still, do you ever get mad at God? Or are you always kind of in the space of, God, I know that you're like you're good in this. Are there ever times where you find yourself being like having a word with him, so to speak, <laughs> or not necessarily? <laughs> No, not about this in particular. I'm, others have asked me that as well, like along the way. Um, I don't know. It's funny. I feel like, I think it was Corey Ten Boom that said, you know, that the Lord gives you like this pass to the to the train, like when you need it, like just at the moment you need it. And I felt like, you know, my hospital experience, he kind of gave me that, that train pass. And I just really had the grace and the peace um, that I needed. Um, not that... And, and that doesn't mean that we didn't cry a lot of tears because mm-hmm, <laughs> we did mm-hmm, cry a lot yeah. of tears. And I did ask questions like, oh, I mean, I'm looking around me and there are people, I'm getting better and other people are not. And so those are questions that I, I did, you know, have to enter into the why of, hmm, so why am I, you know, being healed in this way? Um, so those are things that I've definitely spent some time with. Um, it's fine to be, I think, angry with God. That's an honest emotion. And I think he, he's, he's totally able to bear up under that. So mm-hmm. um, if someone was angry, I would say, you just, you just tell it to him because he knows. Right. Um, he already, you know, he already knows that. So we might as well just, you know, be really, really uh, honest with him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. And also, too, uh, just a reminder and encouragement that in the pain and suffering, our inclination can be to think that God has done something to us, and mm-hmm. then we want to run the other direction. Mm-hmm. And it's like the 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 app that you did the absolute opposite of that. You continue to lean in and mm-hmm. run to God in this, mm-hmm. and God really is the only one that can meet us mm-hmm. in our pain and suffering to the degree like no one else can meet us the way that God can. And right. so. You know, when we're tempted to let anger overcome us and, and we distance ourselves from God, I just really encourage us to be like, no, God is faithful. He is holy. Mm-hmm. He is merciful. He is mm-hmm. compassionate. Run to Him. Lean into Him. Mm-hmm. Rely on Him. And He, like, His grace will carry us mm-hmm. in that. Amen. And He wants to give you Himself. Yeah. Sometimes I think we're looking for specific ways that we want Him to move. But I think that 
you know, in the suffering, he really wants to give you himself. That is the very best gift that we could ever ask for. Mm -hmm. That's good. So in our minute wrap up here, what would be any final words of encouragement for our listeners? Hmm. Um, I think that uh, the the best truth, the the um, thing that has been core to my journey is just that Jesus Christ is um, sweet. He's so very good. Um, and if you are struggling, if you are in pain, just know um, that not only, as I said, does he have compassion, that is a lovely, good thing. He truly knows what it's like to be betrayed, to suffer physically, to, you know, be cast off, um, to be rejected. He knows all of the the things that, you know, go on in our our hearts, Um, but not just does he know that um, it's lovely and significant as it is that he can have compassion, but he also has real power. Mm. Mm. Amen. Mm. Well, thanks so much for being on our show today, Kate. It's mm-hmm. been a joy to hear your story live in person mm-hmm. after having read it in your book. And a reminder, listeners, Catherine Elizabeth Clark, Where I End, A Story of Tragedy, Truth, and Rebellious Hope is available online at Amazon.com and I'm sure other online mm-hmm. retailers. Mm-hmm. So pick up your copy today. And thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Living a Life Unleashed podcast and a reminder to share it with your friends and to tune in with us for next week's episode. See you then.